Thank you, Brady. Uh, if you guys might remember, if you've been here for a while, Brady was with us, uh, gosh, back a couple of years ago. Uh, in our in-between time, we had, uh, if you might have noticed that Luke uh, Emmert and his wife Ashley are not with us. They actually took a full-time uh, gig over in Tulsa where he's the full-time worship pastor. He was part-time for us, but a great deal. Hard to see them go. They were a great couple, uh, but our church prides itself on being a sending church, and so we sent them out, and uh, it's a blessing, but in the meantime, uh, not a bad fill-in. Pretty good with Brady. Brady, thanks. Um, by the way, he'll have a CD over there that you can look at and get, and uh, he'll be with us a couple more times. The next time he comes, he'll actually have his new CD with him, and uh, so you guys will get to see that as well. So happy Easter. Uh, big deal around our house because we do an Easter lunch for everybody who has uh, not got people to be with. So sometimes our college students don't have people to be with, or sometimes our P&G folks, you know, y'all get moved everywhere in the world, and y'all come down here and it's like, well, what do we do? So, uh, so we have a hundred or so more folks coming over today for the Easter egg hunt slash uh, my wife's famous brisket. I can't wait. I've already tasted it. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I had to make sure it was okay. Plus, it's been like cooking for two days. It's slow cook. Y'all, y'all hungry already? Thinking about it? So happy Easter! Like a welcome. Uh, all there's two days a year that uh, churches get the most CEOs ever. So I'd like to wel welcome all the CEOs here today. That's Christmas and Easter only. Thank you for being here. Uh, appreciate y'all being here. You'll actually enjoy the message today because it speaks to all of us, no matter who you are. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John, the book of 1 John chapter 1. It actually starts a series for us that uh, me and Alan and Greg are doing. Um, we're going to be walking through the whole book of 1 John for the next uh, four or five weeks. And this starts with today. And so you kind of might have a little bit of a question mark going like, well, how does that tie into Easter? Well, it becomes very obvious how it ties into Easter with the scripture that we'll be reading. So I am going to, um, for time's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip one through four because I'm actually going to use some, uh, some other scripture from, sec, um, from the second chapter. But I want you to look with me in uh, verse 5. We'll start there and we'll finish at verse 10. And then we'll uh, jump into today's message. This is the message that we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we, are ha if we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. President Calvin Coolidge said this. He was asked by a friend one day after he went to church and said, hey, what did the minister preach on? He spoke on sin. The friend said, well, what did the preacher have to say about sin? Calvin Coolidge said he was against it. Today, you guys, we're going to deal with what 1 John and what John talked about in, in, in understanding of there's a real line that is drawn for us. And I want to be uh, very um, 
careful, but I also want to be very honest about um, how we look at this scripture because you have to take it in context of why it was written, who it was written to, and the things that were going on around that at the time. Because the reason that he wrote the book of First John is because there was a lot of false teachers that were speaking at that time, and we'll get into some of that context in just a little bit. And because of those false teachers, then John came out and he, I mean, from the very first chapter says, this is the line. Now, if y'all grew up like me in church, there was always the churches that had what I call the line, but it seemed to be legalism. There was always, you know, if you grew up in the Baptist church, we, we weren't even allowed to go to dances, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, oh. so I kind of wanted to always date the Methodist girls because they could go to the dances, right? I'm not saying anything about the Methodist girls. I'm just saying they could go to the dances. Y'all know what I'm saying. There is all kinds of things that we have from our past that gives us some sort of line or what we would call the plumb line for our life. But the truth is, is that the generation that we're working with in our church and, and what we're trying to attempt to do when we talk about being an intergenerational church and, and, and trying to, to reach the campus, you guys, is the age of 21 years of age and younger in America on an average base, which means two out of four Sundays, and this is any denomination um, that's an actual evangelical denomination, only 4% of that generation in America goes to church on a regular basis. So most of us, what we think of is, you know what, <clears throat> when I get out of college and get married, I'll get back to church. Logical thinking, because you're obviously already in church. Some of us think, well, when we have kids, we'll, we want our kids in church, we'll get back in church. Right? Logical thinking, because again, you're already here. But for a generation that's not going to church, how are they going to distinguish what is right, what is wrong? How are they going to understand who is a believer and who is not a believer? I believe there is a day and a time coming, and it's not for my generation, but I think it's my children's generation, that you guys are going to see in America, just my opinion, but I think you're going to see in America that there's not going to be a nice middle ground that once was a good gray area that we could hang out in. I think you're either going to be one that is focused and, hey, you're a believer or not. And the reason that I say that it looks that way, and by the way, 1 John addresses this pretty clearly, is because the tolerance that we have given has been fine in Christianity and the way that they tolerate us as well. But you see defining moments in our political system. You see defining moments in every area of life, and it's polarizing. And so we're becoming a nation more divided than we are together. And quite honestly, our only hope and our hope is in Christ. And so when we look at Easter and we look at what Easter is about, it's, it's unique because the way that we started out this series in 1 John is looking at the person of Christ and what he differentiates for us is that line. So what we have at Easter is God sent his son Jesus. He lived on this earth. He did ministry on this earth, right? here for 33 years, and then his purpose and his plan for what God had for his son Jesus was that he was to die for all of our sins, my sin, your sin, all of mankind's sin. He did that on Friday, hence this last Friday. So in the Christian world, we celebrate Good Friday and we say thank you 
Jesus, that you were willing to die for our sins. And then in the Christian world, we celebrate Easter in the way that we do. Not about chocolate, not about bunnies, not about the Easter egg. Those, those are all fun. By the way, not about the masters. Thank you very much. We celebrate here in America all kinds of ways, but when it comes down to what we celebrate as the church and Christianity is because on the third day, he rose again. That means that you and I have life for eternity. That is the celebration. It could have just been a grave where he still was, but if you go back to the graves of all the other religious leaders, you're going to find bones or a tomb with somebody in it, but not Jesus because he lives. And so when we look at the verses today, I want you to have an understanding. At that time, John was addressing false teaching, what false teaching was, and we'll get into that a little bit, and why he said, here's the line, here's where I'm drawing it, this is what it's about. So how do we do that? You might have remembered this, by the way, I didn't give you like little notes to fill in blanks, but here's an outline in case you want to follow along with it. Number one, if you are saved and you know it, then your life will surely what? Oh, you all were Baptisty. Y'all grew up in church and Sunday school, didn't you? Your life will surely show it. How does it show? Number one, or A, however you want to focus on this. In obedience, verses five through seven, by the way, I changed over to uh, the New International Version for this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, in chapter 2, this is what he says that correlates with that. This is verses 3 through 5. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked, as Jesus did. So you see that there is two declarations from both of these chapters, and the declarations are simply, simply this. Back-to-back -back genuine Christianity is marked by a life of obedience to God's commands. We should not kid ourselves that because our sins are paid for, our sins don't matter. Why I want to speak to you this, about that this morning is we understand that God's grace covers us. We're covered. If you're here this morning, by the way, the book of 1 John was written to believers. It was not written to people who were not believers. This was written to the family, okay? And because he was writing it to the family because of the false teachings going like, hey, you need to be able to decide and understand what the truth is. And he lays down a really big gauntlet. This is it. Here's the line. And so we look at this and and understand he's talking about obedience, he's talking about sin, and, and, that, and that here's what grace covers. Grace covers us. God's grace covers our sin. Okay, all of us who are believers, it covers us. But here's the deal. He talks about this obedience and walking in the light. So the way that I'd like to describe it, I'm going to give Greg the, the kudos this morning. He came up with the illustration. I stole it. I'm using it, but I'm making it my own after this. God's grace is like it's raining. And if it's raining and you put an umbrella up, then you're getting to block off some of the rain correctly. But it's still raining. 
You put it down and you're going to get more rain on you. Correct? That is a picture of God's grace. God's grace is always there. It doesn't change. It's never changed. It's, it's there for all of us as much of it as we can handle. But sometimes because we're not obedient, we're not getting all of the grace that God's given us because we have an umbrella up and it's not coming down upon us correctly. Does that make sense? That's what I mean, Jess. Beautiful picture of God's grace. It's always there. It's always raining. It's always available to us in its extent to God's incredible, enormous life of who he is. It's, a, it's granted to us. But our obedience has a part in how much of it we receive and how much we get, even though it never changes. Mark Twain was asked a question, you know, a big spiritual leader. And this guy told him, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I will climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. And here's Mark Twain's response. I have a better idea. You could stay in Boston and just keep those commandments. Amen or oh me? Right? See, we're always kind of chasing what we need to do to make ourselves feel a certain way. And by the way, we do that in church too. Right? With denominations and who we are and what we're, hey, I kind of like this one over here because I, I can dance. I kind of like this one over here because this one makes me, you know, kind of feel good about where I'm at. I kind of like this one because there's not a whole lot of accountability. You know? By the way, that's the nice part about going to a big church. Right? Is it, nobody really knows. You just kind of go in, go out, and, you know, no big deal. But here's what the understanding that we have to, we have to come to grips with is that, that God knows. And he understands. And he knows what our sin is and, and, and what that looks like. Walking in the light means taking not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the Lord's commands seriously in a life of obedience. And obedience is in an instructive way. Listen, I, I understand. I grew up in the church, and here was all the rules. Here's the do's, and here's the don'ts, and here's the gray area that we all lived in for God's grace, right? And we really liked it to kind of test God in the gray area. You all know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> it was gray. I mean, it really wasn't in the Bible, so let's kind of figure, hey, I don't know. But here was the definite don'ts. And you didn't want to get over there because then you're going to be judged by everybody in the church, right? But then here's the world over here. So, you know, y'all remember kind of in the old church that we used to kind of call it, you know, you're kind of riding the fence. You know what I'm talking about? You're kind of riding the fence. Or one, one saying I kind of like, y'all remember the hokey pokey? You put your left foot in, you put your right foot. You know, I kind of, I, I always just kind of like putting it in for a little bit and then taking it out. Just to kind of make sure, you know, how's it going? A little rhythm there, thank you. Kind of did that as much as I could, and then kind of somebody, you know, somebody would say something to my parents or whatever, but I was going like, where's the Lord's conviction in that? And, and we do that with, with everything that we do, is that, honestly, we can take Scripture, listen, we can take Scripture and kind of apply it how we want to, out of context, to our life to make ourselves feel better about some of the things that are going on. Hello? And sometimes we do that with churches as well. And so it's important that we know that we have a relationship with Christ so that the Holy Spirit that lives within you can test, can test the preacher. The reason we have elders at this church is because I'm flawed. 
I sin, believe it or not. I know, it's hard to believe. I sin. I got struggles. I've got problems. And by the way, part of my heart always has been since the beginning of this church is not to preach down to you or to preach at you, but to live exactly where you live because I am no different from you except that God said I was supposed to be the preacher. I don't like it. I sometimes don't enjoy it. Sometimes it's not very fun. Really. Believe it or not. I know it looks like I have a good time all the time. My wife tells me that. Why are you so happy? I, have, I don't know. Sorry. But it's not fun when people are getting divorced in your church. It's not fun when somebody's been um, raped or somebody's been molested. It's not fun when you're having to deal with kids that, that have two or three parents. That's not fun. It's not fun with some of the things that have happened to some of you college students and what you're going through. It's not fun to help some of you families that, that honestly have had to declare bankruptcy. Yeehaw, that's fun. Woo. Let me take you out to lunch. Let's talk about that. That's not fun. But when it comes down to what we are in Christ and who we are, the Bible talks about us being brothers and sisters. And he says that there needs to be a difference between us and the world. And that's what he's telling us here in 1 John. There has to be a difference between us and the world. Thomas Campus wrote it this way. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Again, God's grace. Remember what I said about the umbrella and how we use it and what it looks like? It seems to be that God's grace is dependent upon our willingness to be obedient. It's always there. Listen again, this is to the believer. It is always there. But you're in my obedience to him is what opens up the floodgates to how much that we have of his grace. Because there is a correlation to our relationship with him and to sin that conflicts us and keeps us from doing what we should be doing. And so he draws this incredibly hard line. And he does it in this way. He says again, if we are walking in his light, <clears throat> our life will show it. How? Number one, in love. Chapter 2, 9 through 11, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Give an illustration for you right here about what that looks like. In Luke 10, 27 through 37, we all know that story that Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan, right? So here's the Good Samaritan. He's hurt. He's over to the side. And here's all these different people that come by and talk to him. Well, what Jesus is giving us in that, in that real kind of example is simply this. It's a question of authenticity. The different people went by him and were supposedly good people, correct? But how did they offer to help him? One, hey, I'll pay somebody to do that. <laughs> Hey, here's some money. Go get some help. Hey, I'll pay somebody to come back and do that. Hey, here, let me tell you about some people in town that will help you. They all wanted to do it that way, right? But then he talks about how is that authenticity real because it's this. Legitimate faith reflects legitimate love. So these are the things that Jesus did. This, this is the challenging kind of love that Jesus puts us before. Okay, remember, we're, we're believers. Okay, I'm talking to the believer here this morning. This is the kind of love. Jesus loved the lepers. Okay, listen to me. He's, the context is that he, 
who he's loving are, are they're, they're believers, but these are believers. Listen to what Jesus loved the lepers. Jesus loved the immoral. Jesus loved people from different cultural backgrounds. He taught us to the love to love those who mistreat us. He taught us to love our enemies. He taught us to love people who are of different ethnicity. He taught us to love people of different moral values. He taught us to love the unlovable. Now here's the key word out of that in Luke. Brother. The term brother that is referred there is primarily to those of brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are a part of the church. Maybe this is the most difficult one to love of all. Right? It's easy for us to love the cannibal dude down in South America that we never have to see. Let's pay money and somebody go visit him. Let's pay money and go help those people. By the way, even in our own town. Hey, let's go to Seven Hills and help the homeless and we'll do that lunch for them. Hey, let's go to Life Source and we do that, I think, once a month or twice a month. Let's go to Life Source and help feed people. Those are biblical principles, but non believers can do those. And because it's a biblical principle, it feels good, right? Right? That's doing the right thing. Hey, we're going to help Seven Hills. We're going to Life Source. But let's be honest when we talk about what Jesus said, that's uncomfortable. Now, everybody that's 35 years and younger in here, you guys are so social justice, it's not even funny. I mean, y'all are going to do a cupcake sale and raise $5,000, and we just gave it for you know, all the dogs that are albinos. I mean, you will do, I mean, y'all will make it happen. I don't know, that just came out. Y'all will do anything. We're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna do a 5K walk. We're gonna do a 10 run. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. We raise money and we throw money towards it. And we go, we all feel better. That is great. Everything, it feels good because it is a biblical principle. Is there any life changed? And by the way, I'm all for the door in to help it get changed. But at what point does a life change? And that's what Jesus is talking about. He draws a hard line. He's going like, hey, the world can do some of this same stuff too. And you feel good because it's the biblical principle. But is it real life change that's happening inside of them? And that's what he speaks to. He says, we do this in love. We are walking in the light. Our life will show it in love. We reflect that. And then he starts, I mean, he just gets on to us about the body. Here's a quote. It's a source unknown, so I can't give credit to it. To dwell above the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, that's another story. Thank you. The courtesy laugh. You know why? Because there's people on this side of the row that have a problem with somebody on this side of the row. Already this morning, there is someone here who said, can you believe so-and-so is here? At church, right? How about this one, ladies? I'm just going to get you. Can you believe what that young lady had on? Can they not put more on? Hello? Can you believe they're at church? I can't even believe they would show their face at church. Why are they here? And he addresses this to us. You see, that kind of love... 
that honestly is the kind of love that Jesus talks about that can love an enemy, that can love someone who's mistreated you, that, that, can, that can love an unlovable person or that can unlove somebody that's not like us, right? I, I like hanging out with people like me. I, I like hanging out with people that we got things in common. But it's, it's hard to hang out at Seven Hills. It, it's, it's not enjoyable to, honestly, and I'm saying enjoyable meaning like I don't want to just do it every day. It's the funnest thing ever. It's hard to go to Life Source and see that, some, that, that I have possibly a watch. Listen to me. I'm trying to be sweet, but at the same I've got a watch that might cost as, more, as much as their car that's out in the parking lot. You're going, Jonathan, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's wrong, it's right. I'm just saying that, that it's uncomfortable, and Jesus says that we're to love that way in an uncomfortable way. And by the way, there, there's just as many people on the other side that it's hard to love people who have everything. They don't even see that they needed, a, they don't even need Jesus because they got it all, right? But they're, but they're not happy. They don't have that joy. Amazing out of Guatemala when we would come. There's one village that we go to, and it, it, is, it is Christianized. It, it has become a fellowship of believers that are walking with Christ. And, and you walk into that village, and you can see the difference between it and the other village automatically because the, those people have joy. And they're smiling, and they're ready to help in whatever we're doing. And, and you're going like, I mean, I'm talking about from the Americans. It's hard to fathom that. Because they have nothing. They've got a tin roof and, 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 a, and, a, and a hood for the side of the, a door. And they've got a dirt floor. And they love Jesus. And you're, I mean, obviously, you get kind of convicted and going like, okay. You know, it, it's hard. Jesus says... That's a supernatural love that can only come from him. It is reflected in a person who is sold out and submitted to God. When Jesus faced the cross, he prayed, listen, he prayed an incredible, unbelievable prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When God indwells your heart, you will find yourself loving in a supernatural way. It just happens because it's him through us. It's not us seems like the subtle sins that happen to be in the church are gossip and strife and envy and, and divisions and they're destructive. They separate us not only from our brothers and sisters in here because we talk about each other, we have these problems, but, but listen, it separates us from God. And what John says, he, he's clearly saying to, that if, you, uh, here's, here's the bottom, he says that if we talk about Christians behind their backs, this is what he says in 1 John chapter 1, you're not saved. Hey, if you're talking about a Christian behind your back, you're not saved. And then he says this. Hey, if you try to damage their reputation, you're not saved. If you harbor ill will or unforgiveness in your heart towards them, you're not saved. Do you see how clear the line is? Because this is it. So you can't even have ill will towards somebody. You're not saved. You, if you're having a problem with forgiveness this morning, then according to 1 John right here, he goes, you're not saved. What are you going to do with that? And then he throws this at us in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Y'all have heard it at a wedding. Listen to it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. 
If we didn't live up to this standard from 1 John and this in Corinthians, then what 1 John was saying is, you're not saved. So we sit here this morning and we have, gosh, I've got unforgiveness. I've got some ill will towards somebody. You know, Taco Bell lady did it again. Right? I'm kind of, this morning, I'm not kidding, on the way here, I'm late, I'm rushing, I'm speeding within the rules of the speed limit. But some little old car just pulls right out in front of me, like slow, slow, really slow. Everything went through my head. Honk, blink the lights, everything. The Lord says that I'm not supposed to keep ill will or wrongdoing. And then he draws this line for us with First John that says, you're not saved if you are. If you're not feeling guilty yet, then let me show you what happens. And then he gives us what's next. And here's number two. Sin happens. Guys, I'm going to sin. I'm going to let you down. The elders of this church are going to sin. They're going to let you down. The, the, the person that leads your small group is going to let you down. Your mom or dad's going to let you down. You're, you know, God help the poor guy. Tim Tebow is going to do something that some of us don't like at some point, And we're going to be let down. We're going to be let down because sin is real and it happens. And sometimes we know about it and sometimes we don't. But sin happens. And here's what he says that we need to do about it. Admit it. Admit it. Verse 8, verse 9, here we go. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's what God does. He says, here's the line. Here is this incredibly strong line that if you have this, you are not saved. And then he says in verse 8 and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Admit the sin. And he says this to us first that we should agree that, that with God that we are sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We agree with him according to the scripture that we are sinners in Romans 3.23 says this, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And then he uses this word in verse 9. Confess. 1 John 1.9. Basically means this, to agree. To agree with God about sin. This refers to all people. To agree with God about sin. Even believers struggle against sin. Here's where... John kind of put it in a, in a context for us that he had to confront that subject because there were so many false teachers that were spreading the wrong message about sin. So he, he had to throw a, I mean, here it is. So we have to understand that with, sin is very, I mean, it's very serious to God. And, and at that point, this group was teaching that there was no consequences to sin. And so John said, hey, there is a consequence. John's premise is that there is a beginning place of being in step with God and agreeing with God that we are sinners. We need to recognize and confess that sin and our lack, I love the way he puts this, and our lack of love for Jesus when we sin. Because that's what it is. 
And he's telling us through 1 John that we need to have uh, an attitude of getting rid of that unloving sin that we have. And there is a sin problem. And the reason that I address it is because he said to address it. And he put it this way. He said, really, I, I think that, that if you look at 1 John, because at first you're just going like, man, there's such a line. I mean, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, okay, I'm in sin. He says, I'm not saved. He says, if I have ill will towards someone, I'm not saved. If I, if I got a problem with someone I hadn't made right, I'm not saved. And then he comes back in 8 and 9, and, and he does this, and this is what 1 John is giving us. The point is this, to recognize God is serious. Listen, God is serious about sin. That there is a real expectation that our lives as followers of Christ should be, it should be marked differently. And sin should be losing its hold on us. If you're a follower of Christ today, if you're someone who, who has made that relationship with Christ real and, and you know that you're going to be in heaven with him, there should be a marked difference in your life. You shouldn't be the same that you once were. The old day preachers used to say, hey, if there's no change, there's no Jesus. But, but in a day and a time where people are looking and they're searching, and why is Tim Tebow so polarizing? Because he's really different from most of the pro athletes that we see. And it's not just because he gets down and does a prayer. Do you know how many guys have gotten down and done some sort of prayer in the end zone before? It's ridiculous that the media makes such a big deal about Tebow when other guys that have been doing it since, I, I mean, way before I started watching football. Why is he polarizing? Because he has stood for something that separates him from the world. There's, there's not, I don't know how old he is. Somebody give me a name, number. 20, is he 30, 28? 30, what? 23? Sucker's only 23? Man, he needs to be in our church, be a tither. Good night. Anyway, 23-year-old pro athlete who says to the world and to his teammates and to everybody out there, Abstinence. I'm waiting for my wife before I have sex. What 23-year-old pro athlete does that? Polarizing. He's different. Why is he different? Because he wants to be, because he likes the pressure, because of Jesus. That's why he's different. And he says that the scripture tells us that we should be different. A pastor wanted to check... <laughs> his congregation's understanding of the sermon. So he asked this question, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? Wasn't a trick question. He was just asking. Nobody answered. It's kind of like this. And then this little kid from the back said, you have to sin. Right? <laughs> to get forgiveness of sin, you have to sin to ask for forgiveness. You guys, we have to admit it. And then we have to do something about it. And that's my last point. And end with this. The understanding of sin itself is not enough. I agree with God about my sin. We can all do that, especially if we get caught. Hello? Right? Yes? Okay. I, yes, I did it. We get caught, it's easy to agree with God about sin. We have to do something more than that. It's not just an understanding of the end. Listen, to walk in the light, I must bring it to Jesus. See, that's what Jesus did. Listen to this. Verse 2, 1 and 2. 
Second chapter, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but all the sins of the world. Confession of sin allows us to receive forgiveness and fellowship with God through the atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. The Easter story. It is only because of the price of sin that has been paid that we can receive that forgiveness. The picture is this, that Jesus is our defense lawyer. We have a plea of guilty, but Jesus declares, I've paid the price. You see, we have God's grace, but here's this sin issue in our lives, and we have to admit it, and we have to confess it because it affects us. And it affects the way that other people see us. Because if we keep sinning and doing the things that the world is doing, we're no different from the world. And that's why John said, there's got to be a difference. Here's a line. There's a lot of people out there saying the things of Jesus are okay, but there's no line. Just go back and forth and think you can do whatever you want to do. He says there's a line. And he offers us his grace. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, you give to us your incredible grace that covers our sins, that gives us second and third chances. But God, we are a place and a nation and a city and a church that needs, Lord, to be right with you about our sin. Lord, we, we're going to have we're going to have family members that have Easter together today that have problems with each other, and we smile and we put on our mask and we go about our business. When Lord, there's hurt and there's pain that comes from that sin, and there's struggles that happen within those families because of that sin. Lord, would you let us would you let us Lord bathe in your grace. Would you let us come clean, Lord, by, by admitting and seeing any sin in our life that we, Lord, might confess to you. And Lord, I know that there's, there's really, Lord, just two kind of folks that, that are here today because they came to church. Lord, there, there's either those who, who really know you and have this relationship and they can resonate, Lord, with some of the things that have been said from your word. Lord, are there, there might be those, Lord, who who they don't understand and they have question. And Father, what's awesome about you is that your grace, your grace, Lord, according to, to the song and according to scripture is more than enough for what we need. And Lord, because of your son, Jesus, we have this amazing relationship that can happen with you. Lord, in just the next few moments of the singing of this song, Lord, may we recognize any sin and confess it to you and admit it to you. And Lord, may all of us walk away from this day, Lord, not wanting to be a CEO, but wanting to have a relationship with you on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis, Lord, that can make and be a deciding factor for other people who are watching us, Lord, in our walk with you. Let us be light.